Thanks. They're turning into me here. When Matt was giving the housekeeping at the start, I thought he was going to say, in case of a fire, huddle round it. But <laughs> Now, even though we discovered that Mark might not go globetrotting around the world as an evangelist, Mark and Sarah did come with me to a little Baptist church last week in Littlestone. And so I said, what church can we visit next week? It's really good to be here at the start of your meeting like this, and... Uh, Obviously, we want to pray and support, I don't know, with Tim's involvement, but anything I can do, and I know I speak on behalf of people like Neil, we want to help you in any way that's possible, and so we're here and available. And it's that tension of you want to, to release people and give them the scope to do things, at the same time you don't want to become dislocated, but we are certainly here and available, but, but certainly wouldn't want to cramp anybody's style, because we do want to give the three groups autonomy to develop their own flavour and feel, but we're available, and um, if you need us, you might not need us, but we love you, and obviously for people like me and myself, we've been involved with you for a long time, and so we want that to continue, but we want to support you in what you're doing. The other thing just to mention as well is, um, I hope you've all seen these Matendi calendars. Uh, how many rooms have you got in your house? <laughs> uh, we've got a few left. And uh, I'll put them at the back. If you haven't got one and you'd like one, please just make a donation. Uh, we were charging £2.50, but January has started and there's a typo on the front. But, um, but once it's January, you don't notice it. So if you've been so snowed in, you haven't been able to get a calendar, then please take one. There's a box at the back. You can just put a donation in. I hope you all know about Matendi. If you don't, please send me afterwards. But all, all the money goes towards helping children who we've been able to help over the years, but uh, still need ongoing help. Now Matt said to look at John chapter 1, uh, verse 35 to the end of the chapter on discipleship, so I want to do that. Perhaps Sarah could give an, an imaginary watch, so when you feel 20 minutes is up, you can politely say to me, excuse me, <laughs> shut up. Uh, and I think the questions that Matt asks asked are very important. And maybe you've heard me say before, I think when you're preaching or teaching, you're not going to get the full weight of any subject in, in a short amount of time. And I increasingly view teaching as an opportunity to sow seed. You know, the parable of the sower, hopefully I can bring something of the word of God, which is what Jesus said in Matthew 13, the seed was. Um, so it's, I've got a responsibility to make sure as far as possible it's good seed, but we've got a responsibility to receive it. Because in the next parable, uh, the parable of the wheat and tares, Jesus said, the seed are the sons and daughters of the kingdom. So I see this bit, the sowing of seed, but what God wants to do is plant out sons and daughters of the kingdom, which is us. So seed is sown today, which we can take, we can ask those questions that man has asked, but then... Uh, it's because God wants to plant us out in whatever sphere we're in, whether it be at home, uh, studying, at work, etc. He plants us out as seeds of the kingdom. Let's just read a few verses to start with. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and then declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. And John's two disciples turned and followed Jesus. And Jesus looked round 
and saw them saying, what do you want? He asked them. And they, re they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Here were people who saw Jesus and instinctively saw there was someone worth following. And as I've, I've been thinking about this passage, this passage um, it's just reminded me how we've moved away from some of the excitement, or I have, the excitement when we first encountered Jesus. And the challenge to me is, how can we present Jesus in a way that is attractive enough and real enough that people see and say, there's someone worth following? Because they saw him and they followed him. And Jesus asked the question, he said, what do you want? And I'm not sure in what tone he asked the question. It could have been, what do you want? It could have been, what do you want? But I know there are many times when discipleship is to do with determining what we want. And I've been struck the number of times in Scripture this question is asked. You know, when Solomon is fast asleep one night, and God wakes him up and God says, Solomon, what do you want? And he knew what he wanted. He woke up, he didn't say, oh, give me a week to pray and fast about this. He said, I want wisdom and understanding to rule these people well. It was the same with, with the blind man who Jesus encountered. And he, Jesus meets this man, he's blind. It could have been obvious what he wanted, but Jesus said, what do you want? And the man knew, he said, I want my sight. It's been like Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah says to Elisha, if you can see me when I go, you can have what you want. And Elisha didn't say, oh, I wish you'd give me more warning about this, you know. Uh, he knew what he wanted. He said, I want a double portion of his spirit. Because there was something driving him that there was a passion and an urgency and a seeking after truth that he wanted. And David could say, you know, there's just one thing that I've sought after. There's one thing that I want. And that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. There was a sense, there was a focus. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, there is a focus. Because sometimes Jesus will say things or circumstances will be um, against us that could deter us from actually being his followers. Just later on, and I'm not sure whether you're going through John chapter by chapter, but Jesus gets a lot of followers. They're caught up with the miracles, with the feedings, with all that's happened. And Jesus, I think, knew that even though he'd got all these followers, they weren't actually disciples. They were following him because they'd been fed through miracles. They were following him because, you know, pre-TV and DVDs, there wasn't a lot of alternative <coughs> entertainment. And there was something that was quite compelling about it. And so he starts to teach on things that would offend them. And for a good Jew, uh, this is John chapter 6, uh, Jesus, he started to speak to them about eating his body and drinking his blood, which would have been totally offensive. And those who were there because they weren't so focused on following Jesus, but like the trimmings, they started to disappear. And again, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you can go now. And Peter uh, he said these simple words which I think sum up the heart and focus of a disciple. He says, Lord, where can we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And I think when Jesus was confronted with these two people suddenly follow, following him, his what do you want was as much a challenge to them. Are you really serious about this? 
Are you really prepared to follow me whatever the cost? Are you really prepared to come with me? What is it you want? And in James, James says we have not because we ask not to open our prayer. But sometimes we have not and we've asked not because we're not sure what we want. And as a challenge for this year, can I just ask the same question that Jesus asked his disciples? What is it you want? What are you prepared to actually give yourself to and for? I'm not sure how many of you have read the books by Markham Gladwin. Uh, he's written The um, Link and The Tipping Point. He's written, his latest one is called The Outliers. Have any of you seen it already? Very interesting book. But what he basically says is that he looks at success, or how this world perceives success. And there's lots of reasons, you know, the time of the year you were born, etc., things like that. But what he found was that all those who'd really succeeded, and how he got all these figures, I don't know, had devoted 10,000 hours to actually pursuing their goal. And that was the measure of, of success. And what he's saying is that, you know, if we're going to succeed, there's a focus and a commitment that's essential. Now, obviously, that doesn't completely translate to, to following Jesus, but the point is, you know, there's a choice and a focus because there are times when Jesus almost actively tried to put his disciples off or tried to put off followers. Because if I was starting a church as Jesus was and anybody came near me, I would invite them to my home, to you know, get a home group, get, make sure everybody was friendly. But it was almost as though Jesus was saying, what do you want? If you really want to follow me, you've got to deal with your attitude to money. You've got to start selling your possessions. It was almost as though Jesus was doing the very things to deter people because he wanted to know who he'd really got. And I think in that passage in John 6, you know, with all these followers, what Jesus was after was not a multitude of followers, though he was to some extent. He wanted people with whom he could build. And a disciple is someone who wants to build with Jesus. And so he challenged them right at the core issues of their life. What do you want? And a disciple of Jesus is someone who says, well, what I want is to follow Jesus. What I want is even when it's difficult, even when it's not easy, I've chosen to take this route. Because we've seen something in Jesus, as these two did, that when they saw him and John pointed him out, they said, we want to follow him. And I know for me, there's been a Christian donkey's years, the danger is you lose some of that excitement. And... And the double danger is certainly for someone who, who's, um, who works for the church and is supported by the church, it can almost become professional rather than passionate. And it's not professional people who change the world, it's passionate people who change the world. And here, here these disciples say, said, we want to go where you are. Where, where do you live? Where do you hang out? And uh, so it goes on to say, <coughs> teacher where are you staying come and see he said and it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went and stayed with him to, at that place and they stayed there the rest of the day and when Jesus said come and see what I see in this is a mixture of a commandment but an invitation you see a disciple is committed is focused but one of the wonderful things about following Jesus is we do it because we want to. 
I'm sure all of you will have seen interviews with Andre Agassi about his book that was written. Some of you? Anybody? And what he basically said, apart from all the drugs he was on, he said he hated tennis. But he was just forced into it by his dad. And so for the first years, when he was, he was good at it, but he hated it. And you think, this is sad. You know, here's this world um, winner of many grand slams who hated what he was doing. And almost, uh, I'm sure there's a link somewhere. Because of that, he got into all sorts of drugs, which he, he denied when he was playing. But he was doing something because he had to, and not because he wanted to. And when Jesus said, come and see, I think it's this mixture of a command and an invitation. And if we think that all that Jesus says to us is in the terms of commandment and not invitation, it affects the way we do it. Now, if you've got children, as many of you have, if they have to do their homework, it's a chore. If they want to do it, one of ours did once. It was a Wednesday. But uh, if you want to do it, it changes your attitude, your motive. And I think when Jesus speaks to us and calls us, I think it's this mixture of, um, of a command, but an invitation. And we will be followers of Jesus to the extent we want. And if we are followers of Jesus because we have to, when there are times, you know, we sang that, that song, blessed be the name of, name of the Lord, there are times when the road is marked with suffering, and I know some of you will have experienced different facets of this. It's only because we want to, and we've seen something, and we've seen something about Jesus that makes us want to go on, that'll, that enables us to go on. But if we're following him because we have to, when the road gets difficult, that's the time we either become cynical or we go right away. And so Jesus said, come and see. And it was this mixture of an invitation but a, and a promise, an exhortation and a commandment. Come and see, he said, and they say the, the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. This first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simeon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simeon, Jesus said, You are Simon, the son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, be my disciple. Philip was, was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Because of the attractiveness of Jesus, because they saw somebody worth following, they didn't have to have lessons in evangelism. It's funny, every church wants to grow, but every leader hopes the congregation will bring people in, and all the congregations hope the leaders will bring people in. Because we've made it really difficult, haven't we? And there aren't many people who are natural evangelists. But what I see in this passage is the, the joy of discipleship, the, the immeasurable impression that Jesus had they didn't need to go through a six-week course on how to become an evangelist. They just said, come and see, we've, we've found him. There was an enthusiasm, an infectious enthusiasm. And again, sometimes the longer we become Christians, or being Christians, the, the less that enthusiasm is there. And so we become um, clever or sophisticated or professional, and we lack that infectiousness. And these 
to have seen Jesus, but they immediately went back and said, can't see we found him. And my prayer is, and it's certainly for me personally, and uh, for us as, as groups and churches, that we get some of that infectiousness back. Because I know when people ask me what I do, and I try and explain, sometimes it's a real conversation stopper. And almost, it's almost easier to talk about what we might be doing in Zambia than actually presenting Jesus. And, uh, and the challenge that I'm finding is, is how can uh, we maintain that infectiousness of, you know, come and see a man who's told me all that I've done. You know, when Jesus met the woman at the well, that was her response. He didn't say, now before you go back to the village, there's the ABC, you've got to learn these, you know, you go these and you'll be effective. She ran back and said, I've just met a man who's told me everything I've ever done. And many in the city became Christians or followed Jesus. And my prayer is that, as real disciples, that infectiousness will continue. But what a disciple is as well, is someone who's had a real revelation of who Jesus is. And uh, where is it? Because Philip went back to look for Nathaniel and told him we found the very person Moses spoke about. And what Nathaniel says when Jesus confronts him with a word of knowledge, he says, Teacher, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And a disciple is someone who wants to follow Jesus, but they want to follow Jesus because they've had a revelation of who he is. And a revelation is just seeing something clearly, something that's always been obvious. So later on, um, and we read it in Matthew 16, you know, when Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give various answers, and he says, but who do you say that I am? And it's almost as though the light came on for Peter, and he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He suddenly had, a, you know, the light came on, he saw what was obvious, and maybe he thought afterwards, why didn't I say that before? But a disciple is someone who's had a revelation of Jesus. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he's so vast and so um, his character is so transcendent, he can reveal himself in lots of different ways. So there may be some here who just need to see the love of God revealed by a father. It might be there are some here who've wrestled with um, have wrestled with inadequacy or low self-esteem, and you just need to have a revelation of the one who's the glory and the lift of you. It might be that for some, healing has been the issue. You've, you've wrestled with some condition, and you need a revelation of Jesus as healer. But the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he reveals himself, and a disciple is someone who's had a revelation of who Jesus is. And in this passage, and I'm sure my 20 minutes is, is nearly up, um, if not up, there were people who knew what they wanted and would hold on to that. And that shaped their following Jesus. What do you want? My question to us today is what do we want? As we look at the year ahead, what do we want? As we look at uh, possibilities and opportunities as a group here, what do we want? You see, Sadly, some groups are very happy just to be groups, just to meet, and it's nice, and you've ticked off the uh, worshipping God bit. But we often um, 
what we want determines what we actually go for, and if we're satisfied too easily, we'll, we'll never break through to bring others to know Jesus. The kids are finishing, so I will finish. But the question is, what do we want? The question is, have we had that revelation of the Jesus who's so wholesome, has such integrity that we want to follow him? And the question is, will the infectious response that made us want to follow him will overflow now so we'll be able to tell people, now come and see a man who's told me everything that I did. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are disciples of Jesus. And Lord, we want to pray that anything of the truth of that from today, we'll be able to process this week. We will claim that. Lord, for different ones who might need a fresh revelation of Jesus, we ask you, Lord, to open our eyes to see Jesus. Lord, we pray that you will help each one of us to carry that infectiousness so that we'll be able to talk about Jesus and we'll be able to introduce people to Jesus. Lord, I do pray that you'll help us individually and corporately and just know what we want and be committed to see that happen. And Lord, as we just celebrate this first meeting together, I want to pray, Lord, that you'll give growth. Growth in individual maturity, growth in numbers, growth in a sense of that longing and expectancy for you to move, and a deep hunger for you. But Lord, I want to pray there'll be an overflow, a ripple effect from our times together that will bring some transformation to people in form with. In Jesus' name. Amen.